This is Billy Carson with ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. Forbidden Knowledge TV has just reached its one-year anniversary. That's right, one year. And as a show of appreciation, we are giving all new subscribers a free 30-day trial of ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. That's 30 days to binge watch thousands of movies, documentaries, conferences, workshops, lectures, yoga classes, meditation courses, and so much more. So log on to ForbiddenKnowledge.tv from your computer or mobile device or get the Forbidden Knowledge TV app on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play today and use coupon code 30DAYSFREE. That's coupon code 30 days free on ForbiddenKnowledge.tv today. Hey guys, Billy Carson here, Forbidden Knowledge. Do you like my podcast? Well, guess what? Anchor.fm gave me this podcast for free. They give you creation tools that allow you to edit and create your podcast right on your phone or your computer. And you can even add any song from Spotify directly into your podcast. It's almost like having your own radio show. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you to Apple, Spotify, and many, many more. So go ahead and get started with Anchor.fm today. Different authors, some are appropriate for our content here, our, our theme. Uh, others are not so good, not so focused. Uh, and, and I have a, uh, an interesting new book that I've heard about and uh, I've, I've talked to uh, acquaintances and, and associates about. And uh, this is a book called The Contemporum of Emerald Tablets, A Beginner's Guide uh, by Billy Carson. And Billy has been around for a while. If you're on Facebook, if you're on the Internet, his website, Forbidden Knowledge, is the number four Forbidden Knowledge, has a, just a, a plethora of uh, content, of information on ancient civilizations, on science. Uh, he is, he actually studied applied neuroscience at MIT, which puts him at the top of the list for a lot of content. Uh, but this book is fascinating, not only because it covers a lot of uh, ancient history, and we'll get into that in a second, but he also, uh, Billy also clarifies a lot of questions we have about uh, the ancient uh, Egyptians, the uh, Atlantinians, and some of my favorite people, which are the Maya, which he believes are offshoots of of, uh, the Atlantinians, which is kind of in the same boat house that I'm focused on, so... Mm. Hey, Billy, welcome to Earth Ancients. It's, uh, it's really a pleasure to, to finally get you on the program. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on and giving me an opportunity to talk to your viewers and listeners. Yeah, fantastic. Hey, I got to ask you, this book is uh, it's like a, a, a brain dump of stuff that you've been doing probably for the, for the last 10 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. What was the inspiration to write a specific book uh, on the uh, Emerald Tablets? Well... Purely, I started reading the Emerald Tablets because I've gotten to the Sumerian Tablets and the Indian Vedas and the Mahabharata and a few other ancient texts, and that led me to the Emerald Tablets eventually. And when I first read the um, the Emerald Tablets, Tablet Number One, I was completely blown away because I heard, I read, and what I understood was advanced technology, metaphysics, quantum physics, spirituality, all in just that one tablet. And then also it talked about, um, you know, even things like uh, transferring consciousness and all this other stuff and, and portals. And I'm going, wow. whoa, this is deep stuff. So the more that I read them, the more I said, wow, this information is incredible. And I would then have conversations with people about it. And um, and they would be like, oh, yeah, some people I read some of it, but I can't really grasp all of it. I couldn't really figure it out. Other people would say I had no clue what it was saying. Some people had an idea more of the esoteric messages. I said, yeah. wow, I really should put a book out about these Emerald Tablets because they're really gaining a lot of popularity now. The timing is right. We have the technology. We have enough understanding that we can put this together and give it to people in a way that they can actually digest it and come to terms with some real serious, deep, ancient wisdom and knowledge. Uh, so mm-hmm. I wrote the book, man, and um, it literally exploded on the scene. Yeah. Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. What are 
the Emerald tablets? That's the real question. Yeah. There's two tablets. Now, the first one uh, is an, uh, that a lot of people know of, or not a lot, but most people know of, is the Emerald Tablet of Hermes, which is a single tablet, which I have incorporated into the book. It's been translated right. by many scholars, including Sir Isaac Newton, and it's on display at the Cambridge Library in England. Okay, so you can actually go right. see the translation there from Isaac Newton right now. The other book of work is the Emerald Tablets, plural, by Thoth himself. You know, he has two names, Hermes, and but much deeper in antiquity, his name was Thoth, T-H-O-T-H. Some people say right. Toth. Um, but he was an Atlantean priest king that ruled over the land of Egypt, well, really the land of Kem, before it was called, long before it was even called Egypt, uh, for about 14,000 years himself. Uh, he claims to have built the Great Pyramid, and he himself authored these tablets. He didn't have a scribe. He wrote them himself on these tablets of emerald green. Uh, they're not really emerald. They're made of something else, uh, but, they're, but they're emerald green. And he etched into them these writings, which became these tablets. Uh, and supposedly the structure, the atomic structures alchemically fixed on, the, um, on these tablets to prevent them from deteriorating. It's not that they can't be broken, but just weathering and deterioration, they seem to be immune supposedly to that. Uh, he left them with the pyramid priests, which then they, the tablets made their way over to Mesoamerica. Uh, where the mines are, they were actually uh, discovered underneath the, one of the tunnels to the Pyramid of the Sun in Teotihuacan. And then from there, they were given permission uh, to be brought back to Egypt again. Uh, but I believe now that um, everything in that pyramid has been completely you know, looked at and discovered by the powers that be. Well, let me just stop you right yeah. there. When you say they were discovered in the Pyramid of the Sun at uh -huh. Teotihuacan, was this like... Few hundred years ago, recently, or 19, we're thousands of years ago. Oh no, that was that was recent. Well, not recent, recent, but you know, in the nineteen twenties. Nineteen twenties. Okay, so uh, are you referring to Maurice Dorel's? Uh, did he discover them, or he just trans? Uh, uh, he translated them. He translated them. They were given to him, and permission was given for him to translate them, and also then uh, bring them back. Okay, so they're they're now in Egypt. Not anymore. In my personal opinion, after looking and talking to some of the homegrown researchers, after visiting Egypt myself and spending about a month there and talking to the people that are really in tune with this information and some of the pyramid priests, uh, they are at the Vatican in the Vatican archives underneath the Vatican. Okay. Okay. So, um, so you took the information from the spiritualist Maurice uh, Durrell mm -hmm. Uh, and and that's part of this book, his deciphering of what uh, Thoth was was trying to commit to uh, these emerald tablets. Is that right? That is correct. And also, I put side by side Doriel's and Roger Bacon's translations as well. So they almost were identical, with the exception of a couple of words here or there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I did. I definitely went through both Bake, Roger Bacon uh, and also uh, Doriel's uh, translations, and I figured, wow, these are vo both extremely close. I mean, extremely close. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, the the, the all, uh, they were off maybe by five percent. Okay. Okay. In terms of content. Right. So Th Thoth is a is a uh, a figure that is in and out of history. You have him as an off-world being, an actual yeah. ET. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I, I, I haven't heard that before, but mm -hmm. you know, uh, I'm interested in understanding what that is all about. Yeah. Well, um, when you start looking into the tablets, um, you discover that they have the capability of flight. And in the tablet number one, as a matter of fact, they're on the island of Undal on an unnamed planet. And um, his father tells him to basically uh, go down there and, you know, help the humans out, go to the land of Kem and help them kickstart civilization because the great flood waters are receding now. So he gets into the great ship of the master and he takes his crew in there with him and he literally ascends into the sky until the planet, whatever planet it is, is now vanished. And then he travels uh, down to uh, Earth, and he then begins to descend right over an ancient temple that's now coming up out of the floodwaters. 
So there, you know, and then when you look into the Sumerian tablets, you can kind of make the lineage connection there. Gerald Clark did a fantastic job of doing this. He wrote a book called The Anunnaki from the Bureau, and he also wrote a book called Seventh Planet Mercury Rising, which was also a bestseller. And uh, he does a very good job with the lineage. And you see that Thoth himself is actually known in Sumerian as Nigazita. And Nigazita is the son of Enki, who's also known as Thotmi. So um, he's an Anunnaki. So the Anunnaki were Atlanteans, and uh, they came here and they literally developed a global civilization on this planet. I've heard stories about that. I've heard, uh, you know, uh, thoughts behind the Atlanteans being yeah. Anunnaki. It's uh, because you know where are they? They they came and gone. I mean, there's some there's a native that believes that the uh, the complete land of Atlantis was a huge spaceship. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. We don't I mean, know. I mean, we, you know, we have a record of them. It was pretty big because when you really dig into a lot of the Greek, I've gone into a lot of the Greek writings to discover, because that's as close as I can get to the original source. And the Greeks translated a lot of it and converted a lot of names out of ancient Egypt uh, tongues and out of the land of Kem into their own names and titles. But the, 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 the ring city was larger than Libya. So, I mean, it could have been a spaceship, but maybe at the center, maybe at the very, very center. But the overall city was so massive. There were 10 sons uh, that Poseidon had that he uh, the land was so big, he gave each one of those sons kingship over their own plot of land. So this must have been a pretty big area. Uh, and yeah. there were rules that were written down and there, those rules stood up on a giant stone at the center of the uh, actual city. And the rules were that uh, no brother is supposed to go against another. Uh, and if um, if he has, for any reason, a, uh, a decree that has to be said, well, somebody has to die in terms of one of these rulers, one of the one of the relatives, it has to be voted on, and it has to be a unanimous decision. All these different rules and so forth were put put out there. But I think the Ring City of Atlantis was just one of the capitals of the planet, and that there were many um, many capitals on the planet because in the Animal Tablets, Thoth tells his crew after they build up the land of Kem. He said, spread out and go, go all over the world and duplicate what we did here. And that means build pyramids, build these temples, build these structures, teach the people, so forth and so on. And uh, that's how they kickstarted civilization back on this planet. They started in the land of Kem and then they spread out all over the entire planet. Uh, you know, so it's, a, it's an interesting okay. story. Yeah. The Thoth is, is a very uh, long lived individual. I mean, he's yeah. living into the many thousands of years. Yeah. Uh, and uh, becoming different people. You have him actually also as Kukla Khan mm -hmm. in, in the Yucatan and, and in uh, uh, Central America. Yeah. Uh, how does he get his in incredible uh, uh, longevity? Well, all of these Anunnaki beings have this longevity, and how they get it is from several things. A lot of the technology we're just tapping into now, uh, some of it is um, just genetics. Uh, they're master geneticists, so they know how to eradicate and eliminate disease from the body. Um, and this is something that we're just now learning how to do. And, you know, we actually can create human beings that won't be prone to almost any diseases right now. We can do that today. They had that yeah. capability back then. They were master geneticists. They also had the capability of obviously re, um, uh, recreating limbs or regrowing limbs because there's several battles that occur in Egypt, uh, in ancient Egypt, there's also some in the Sumerian tablets and where people are literally, you know, limbs are torn off and they, they limbs are reattached. Either mm -hmm. they were grown back or they were reattached. Maybe they have a way of cloning an arm and putting it right back on again. The technology that they had was obviously far beyond our, our reach because we still can't duplicate the stone structures. And then the third thing would be that they had the capability of making clones. Now, the evidence of this is also in the Sumerian tablets, not just in the Emerald tablets, because in the Sumerian tablets, when they tried to make the slave race, they began taking uh, DNA from these hominids that were already here and trying to clone them. But the cloning situation was failing, which is why the, one of the Anunnaki women had to take a baby to full term and create, you know, do an in virtual fetal, uh, in, in vitro fertilization. But... Right. Both had the capability in the Emerald Tablets himself of talking about creating these avatar bodies, and then he would transfer his consciousness into an avatar body. So they had this cloning capability, and he said that he would, him and the kings, these elite elites, they would walk amongst men, but unlike men. In other words, they were in bodies, avatar bodies, 
but literally those weren't their original bodies. This is why Thoth looks like different people over many different ages as he travels around the world and he's many different names as well, but it's all the same person. How old would you suggest uh, he was or is he still alive on some dimension or something? I believe that the majority of them are alive. I think the only thing that could kill them is if there's some kind of you know extreme action like a murder. Um, because they are flesh and blood people, they can be killed. It's you know it's happened. You can read it in the tablets. But as okay. long as nobody has come against him to kill him, I, in my opinion, he's probably still alive. I think just from the number of times he went into the halls of Amenti, that would make him ten thousand years old right there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and then in between those, um, in between those incarnations, he would actually wait eight hundred years. It was a hundred years of the body being in the chamber. And another, I'm sorry, 80 years, I believe, in between. So uh, and then another 80 years in between. And you multiply all that out. We're talking about big numbers. He even talks about the fact that he had traveled to other worlds to watch civilizations rise and fall. Uh, you know, so we're talking about a being that is, you know, super, super far advanced, but also still a person. Uh, and the thing that attracted me, attracted me to him the most was that he did not try to masquerade as a god like a lot of his relatives. When the people bowed down and started groveling at his feet, he told them, no, stand up. I'm the son of Atlantis and I'm here to teach you you know, knowledge and bring you knowledge. He didn't try to say, oh, yes, I'm your god. You bow to me and you do this and you do that. He literally uh, put himself on their same level. As a matter of fact, on, he's many, on many accounts, he's called he's known as calling himself the son of man. Which is right. ironically the same term used by Yeshua or Jesus in the modern day Bible. Right. You know, in the tablets, uh, there's a description on uh, advancing Earth human life. Uh, and you actually describe a company called 2045 Initiative mm-hmm. uh, that's doing this. Talk a little bit about these new life extending techniques that. It seems like you're prophesizing in a way, or these <laughs> emerald tablets are prophesizing. Yeah, it's really uh, <laughs> it's amazing stuff. You know, the past is prologue. So whatever happened in the past is going to happen in the future. Uh, and this is what Thoth was trying to tell us. You know, we're, um, it's a cyclical civilization. Civilizations rise and fall. They always go through the same exact, according to him, the same exact cycles over and over again of rise and fall and reaching these different technological levels. But there's a, there's a company out of Russia called the uh, 2045, run by, a, um, I think his name is uh, Ray Kurtzwill. But uh, he his process, or his plan is, I should say, is to transfer, that was a few years ago, he already did it, transfer uh, animals' consciousness into a computer. They did that already. The next step was to transfer human consciousness into a computer. Now, because they're in Russia, we can't verify that they did or didn't, but I'm pretty sure by now it's been done. I'm just guessing at uh, you know, uh, educated guests. Uh, then in, in, in a few more years, they want to be able to transfer a human consciousness into an actual robot uh, yeah. and make it make it conscious. Now, that, to, in my opinion, is already doable because the United States or the military industrial complex, DARPA and Boston Dynamics, they have a project called the Avatar Project. And it's a, the perfect name, right? And in that project, they transfer a soldier's consciousness into a field robot. Okay. Let me just stop you right there because yeah. Boston Dynamics is really at the forefront of these new Oof. robots. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, that are so agile. For those of you oh. listening, yeah. I'll post a couple of these on our Facebook page. These new robots are scary. How oh, agile they are! They don't have a they don't have a, a face, but they're just they're physically mm-hmm. very very agile. Oh so yeah. Go ahead. Much more agile than a human being. I mean, the one I put up a video a few days ago on Forbidden Knowledge. I mean, this thing is running, jumping, doing backflips, yeah. tumble rolls, yeah. running up box, you know, jumping up boxes up to the top ceiling. I mean, this is like what? Now yeah. imagine adding consciousness to that thing. So this is the goal. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah. It's really. I get. I look at him and go, uh oh. Yeah. Watch out! Watch out! It could be. Hey, dangerous. Uh, 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 Talk a little bit about the genetic uh, genome uh, modification that is d- discussed in these tablets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mentioned, uh, you actually mentioned that the Atlantinians uh, 100 plus thousand years ago were able to modify people mm-hmm. into what we are today, which is the Homo sapiens sapiens. Well, yeah. How does that work? How, how, talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, okay, definitely. So you see, 
a lot of people have uh, that started getting into the um, Sumerian tablets and the history of maybe the Anunnaki on this planet started trying to say that the Anunnaki it came it became a common term to say that the Anunnaki created us. They created humans. Well, not exactly. They really didn't create humans per se in terms of like from scratch to a human being. There was already here an existing hominid on this planet, which would be probably our cousin. Now, they have found bones and skeletons and skulls all over this planet that are, that are not Homo sapiens sapiens by the thousands, tens of thousands. They, they, they were here. So what the Anunnaki did, see, 450,000 years ago when they got here, they started mining the planet for resources. And um, and then they had also, they were mining this planet and also Mars. And the EGG were the working class Anunnaki. In other words, they didn't really have the same ranking because Anunnaki based everything off of ranks as the some of these other ruler type Anunnaki relatives. So they were just mostly doing grunt work nonstop. And they were so tired of doing the work on Mars and uh, the poor conditions there that they decided to have a coup and come to battle against the kings of Earth, which were Enki and then Lil. So they flew down to Africa from Mars and encircled the uh, compound there at um, Adam's Calendar in Africa, which has now been discovered uh, and well documented. It's one of the oldest gold mines on Earth and said, look, guys, we're going to go to war and we're going to do this because we have you. We've been telling you we need a break. We need we need women. Literally, they said we need women uh, and they got tired of it. So they were going to battle and the Anki said, wait, stop. Uh, I have a I have an idea. We can take the existing hominid on this planet and we can add our essence to them. In other words, we can genetically modify them, creating a slave worker or a worker race to do to handle the workload. So it was agreed upon hesitantly because they were feeling like they were breaking some type of prime directive because before then they hadn't even interacted with us. Uh, and it was even said that, you know, this is probably not a good idea and that the creator of all, which is who they thought probably was just, you know, the creator of the universe, the God figure, would uh, they would have to answer to the creator of all for, for this uh, situation is what they actually said. But they went ahead anyway because they didn't want to go to war. And they, they then genetically modified the existing hominids. So what they did was they took us. They tried cloning. Cloning didn't work out too well. Then they said, "Okay, um, we're going to, you know, we're going to actually take one of these to full term pregnancy in in our own womb. So one of the Anunnaki women, Anki's um, sister, half sister, took a a hominid woman, took out her egg and then uh, added um, Anunnaki sperm. I'm pretty sure they made like a a zygote in modern terms of technology right now. She inserted it into her womb and took it the term 10 months. And there's a famous cylinder scroller for holding it up in the British Museum where she's where she's saying, my hands have made it. This is the Adamu, which is the first man. That's what this is long before the, you know, the Bible even was written. The Bible was written in, in you know, 180 to 900 A.D. So this is thousands and thousands of years prior. She creates yeah. this Ad- Adamu and she puts him in the Eden, E-D-I-N, which is like this giant outdoor laboratory where they would mate these now birthed humans from time to time and so forth. And he wasn't mating prosperously with these um, cloned women and some of these existing hominids. It wasn't compatible. So then they took him and they took a bone sample, a bone marrow sample, I'm sorry, you know, to to get the blood. And they then created a clone, which was Eve. Uh, And that's how they got Eve. And then from there, he was able to mate and have kids and everything else. But there were already tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people uh, here already, maybe even millions by then. This is so. This is this is kind of following on Zechariah Sitchin's uh, Earth Chronicles uh, material. His deciphering of mm-hmm. the Sumerian tablets, clay tablets, right? Yeah. right? And this is you know, it's ironic that you said. I'm glad you brought that up because Zechariah Sitchin didn't really decipher any tablets or translate any tablets. That was another misconception. What Zachariah Sitchin did was he went and got already pre-translated content. In other words, he went off of the Enuma Elish and the Seven Tablets of Creation. He went from the Atreasis epic. That right there is the whole book of Genesis, just those two right there. Yeah. Uh, and so what he did was he literally just um, wrote a book based off of tablets that were translated hundreds of years before he was even born. Mm. Somehow, kind of way, it got into people's minds that he was the only one that ever translated the tablets and he only he was the only one who knew what they said and all this crazy stuff well he would say that he i knew the man and he would you know he'd said i've been working on this and this is what my deciphering is you know so 
Well, you know, so, he probably doubled back and said, "Okay, this is what the Ultra Aces said. Let me look at it and see if I can and see what it says." Yeah. Ironically, right. it basically says the same exact thing. There's no difference okay. between what he said and what the Enuma Elish or the Ultra Aces epic. He took some from the Mahabharata, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Book of Yahweh, all these different books, and he he does he did a very good job of giving all his sources in his books. Right. Uh, so he right. had multiple multiple sources to create one story. Um, but that's that's you know that's where the whole genetic mon- now what they did also with the Anunnaki they they shortened our lifespan after we were then prosperous and multiplying like rabbits uh, we started to come together uh, and we started to build a tower into the heavens called the Tower of Babel and and Lil had gone away for a while and when he got back he noticed that human beings working together can literally achieve anything so he knocked the tower down and then he uh, in the Bible he's called Yahweh but in the tablets he's called um, Enlil. And then he uh, he said, my seed shall not abide a man forever. His years shall be 120. And that's when they genetically modified us once again, shortening our lifespans. Because prior to that, we were living for thousands of years. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's well documented. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of uh, who, who it was. Uh, Noah was supposed to have lived a thousand years. And yeah. some, some of these other biblical mm-hmm. figures yeah. lived very, very long. Yeah. Uh, it. it it's uh, interesting to hear how these emerald tablets kind of way uh, 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 they, they're in and out of, of, of the Bible. They're mm-hmm. in and out of other sacred texts. Yeah. Um, they get into a lot of science, which I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit about the sound effects on biology in, in specific uh, frequency and vibration mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and their effects on being able to create reality and, mm-hmm. and event current and future events i think that's kind of cool yeah they literally discovered these anunnaki people they discovered that sound and frequency uh which obviously sound frequency same thing uh will create or has a power to alter and create different realities also has a power to control biological life in other words they discovered long ago before we even learned about string theory that there's vibrating strings in the ether of space-time on this power grid that we're living in that vibrate at specific rates of frequencies that create everything that we see in the in the on the biological realm. In other words, a zebra, that frequency, because of the harmonic uh, the um, the harmonic frequency of the atoms in the in the zebra, they pick up that that whatever's whatever's being transmitted through space-time and they then give it its stripes. They give a turtle the pattern on its back. They give a, a cheetah the pattern on its on its uh, fur. They give us the way we look. Everything has everybody's atomic frequency resonates at a specific rate, and then whatever's emanating from this space time, these from these vibrating strings, uh, will create the look and, and tone of that particular being or bi- biological organism. Uh, and and that happens for everything from a blade of grass all the way up to a sentient human being. And they so they knew about this, obviously long before we did. I think they were about a million years ahead of us technologically and and, and spiritually. And so, knowing this knowledge, they started to then understand that they can create their own cymatic frequencies and vibrations from uttering directly, even out of their own voice, that will have a direct effect on people, on space time, on biology, on whatever they wanted. Almost like casting spells. I think that's originally where casting spells came from. I really do believe it was from these Anunnaki people. Because when you go into the book of Enoch, you discover that they, they came down and they started teaching humans all these different uh, mystic arts and everything else. And I think that has a, a big thing to do with learning how to cast spells because casting spells has to do with spelling things, of course, spelling, and also the way you speak things in, a, in specific tones and in, in specific ranges and in specific ways. And this, the Anunnaki were doing this long ago. The actual hieroglyphs are called... Uh, the language of light, when you decipher it from uh, the Naturu language, it means the language of light. And only the elite of the elite Anunnaki can talk, can speak the highest level hieroglyphs. Nobody was allowed to even know them, okay? <laughs> Except for the pharaohs and the Anunnaki. Then below that, you had the political hieroglyphs for the politicians and the elites. And then below that, you had only had the Arabic or whatever the, the language was of the time. And they could never learn anything higher than that. They were not even allowed to learn anything above it. Uh, and even today in Egypt, when I was there, uh, they're just now starting to teach what hieroglyphs are in school. They just got that in 2016, I believe. Uh, wow. You know, yeah. It, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it really lasted that long. But 
this this they they figured out that frequency and vibration can literally bend space time, create law of attraction, change future realities. It's almost like dropping ripples in space time, but they knew exactly how to play it right to create these matrix realities and these systematic realities that they have us kind of encased in, and it's lasted for many eons. Yeah. Talk a little bit about sound healing. You have a, a, mm -hmm. an interesting reference uh, where you show that the Mozart effect on seizures is very profound. Can you describe mm -hmm. that a little bit? Yeah, sound healing is really incredible. I mean, there's one, obviously, a lot of people may have known about the Rife machine, uh, which is a yeah. frequency technology that's known to have cured cancer. Uh, and how the premise of that work, uh, I'll get into that, is um, that it every every um, atom vibrates at a specific resonant frequency. And so atoms inside of a tumor have a resonant frequency. So once you isolate the frequency of the atoms in a tumor, if you send out a matching frequency from like this wand from a device that can, can create frequencies that in that range, you can literally destroy or cancel out the tumor without destroying any surrounding tissue. Um, now, this was a concept and an idea that came up several times um, more recently in the 19, um, 1960s, I believe it was, 1970s. But again, that laboratory was torn down as well. But that proved that what I was talking about in there uh, even classical music, it's been known to rearrange the molecular structure of your brain. So listening to classical music 15 to 20 minutes before taking an exam will increase your, um, increase your uh, probability of getting right answers by 15%. Okay? Wow. I mean, that, this is just incredible stuff. And this is like peer-reviewed science. I mean, that stuff has already you know, went off in many different um, laboratories and universities around the world. Uh, right. So sound has a has a capability of doing a lot of healing, and this is one of the things that Yeshua learned after he left out of the uh, modern day Bible, where he disappears at the age of twelve. He goes to uh, Egypt to learn um, uh, the Egyptian mysteries and and light work and sound and frequency work, and then he goes to uh, Tibet to learn Reiki healing, and then he goes to India to learn mystic arts. And that's in the uh, that that is in the um, the Gospel of the Holy Twelve. He okay. actually you, the term Reiki is actually uh, posted in this document. It doesn't say Reiki, but it says healing. You know, healing with the hands, which healing is healing energy. Healing yeah. energy wow. with the hands. The same thing with is Reiki healing. So yeah, and, and we know <laughs> that it originated cool. in Asia. That's where he went. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about uh, sound frequencies in uh, cr uh, reality creation. How how is uh, I mean, there's some mm -hmm. basic, simple documentation that I've heard about, yeah. but do you have anything new to add to that? Well, you know, um, when you, every time you speak back by conscious intent, it has a direct effect on space-time. So, to give you an example, imagine a very calm pool of water, and then you take a pebble and you drop it in the water. You see ripples go out. Yeah. And so we're living in this water. We're living in this liquid, this this gas that we're that surrounds our bodies. It's literally like a fluid. We're actually moving through a fluid all the time. This fluid is the is the energetic grid that's connected to everything. It feels like nothing but just air, but it really is on this this grid. And it's this lake. It's this giant giant lake or ocean, if you want to call it that. So every time you speak or utter something verbally or even think something, you're having a direct effect on this lake, on this water field that's around you. Now, if you had the capability of seeing the electromagnetic waves with your eyes, we only have a limited range of sight that we can see. But if you were able to see all the different wavelengths, infrared, ultraviolet, uh, you know, uh, all these different uh, x-ray, if you can see that, you would see that when you spoke, you would see ripples coming out ahead of your body. And when you think things, you would see ripples coming literally around your head because your thoughts are all what electromagnetic waves, which are what light. All waves, all electromagnetic waves are light, even if you can't see them because we're limited with our eyes. So you're speaking vibrations and you're thinking light waves, and those are directly hitting this water and creating these ripples. So how do you change the future? This is why you always see like this ripple effect when you're looking at movies that talk about tra time travel. Uh, you know what we do is we literally, um, you know, we create ripples in space-time that alter future realities in the third dimension, and that comes by speaking and thinking. So, for example, if I want to change the future on this planet, 
because I came up with an idea that I'm going to invent this. Um, you know, cars don't exist yet, but I'm going to invent the first car. And I just, I, and it goes from my thought conscious uh, platform in my brain where I'm only uh, sending out light signals into the universe. The universe is then going to download back to my body the instructions on how to create this car. It's not my thought. I didn't create the car using my brain, my own thought power. I downloaded the information from the ether of space-time because all information already exists in space-time, and that's scientifically proven. All energy, all information is already contained in the whole. There's no new information to gather. It's already out there. It, what happens is you get on a specific frequency and you download it. So now I download the information about the vehicle. It's in my mind. Now then I transmit that to a two-dimensional platform in a, on a piece of paper or in a computer for CAD design. And then from there I give it to an engineer who then turns into a three-dimensional object. Now what happens is that car becomes mass-produced and then everybody's got a car. I altered the future on this planet with a thought, sending out a light frequency into, into space-time. So, okay. you know, when you utter things like that, when you utter things to people, when you talk to people, you're now having the same exact effect as a thought because the sound frequency also has a capability of creating those same types of ripples and transformation of people's minds. Like we're talking right now, people listening to this show will then get new ideas and have new levels of thinking, new levels of consciousness. We're only going to, not only going to alter them, but we're going to alter their future generations as well, all the way down the line as they pass this information and this higher level of thought along. And also it's encoded in their DNA now too, now that they've heard it. So the memories are stored also in DNA. So you have the capability of altering. That's just a small example of how to alter the future propagation with, with propagation through uh, conscious uh, thought and also uh, talking. So give us an example of uh, creating uh, a desired event, uh, mm -hmm. creation or whatever, using your uh, uh, frequency, sound yeah. frequency. I will tell you that we, so collectively we create reality, but individually we create our own re reality tunnel. And then what happens is these reality tunnels cross. So right now, my reality, t reality tunnel and your reality tunnel have now crossed since we're here now on this live call. And talking uh, together. Uh, so our paths have kind of crossed. So let's say that I want to bring into my reality tunnel something that I need. Uh, for example, I need a new car. As a gentleman, this is actually a true story, a gentleman who was talking to me about the law of attraction, he was saying to me that he could not, you know, he'd been trying to get a new car, he'd been thinking about it, thinking about it, but it just, won't, it just won't manifest. So I said to him, what kind of car are you trying to get? And he said, uh, well, you know, something between fifteen dollars to $20,000. I said, no, nope. see, that's where you failed already. I said, what is the car? What kind of car are you trying to get? Have you test driven a car? He goes, no, I've just been looking online trying to find something in my budget. I said, that's the wrong way to do it. You have to go and test drive cars until you find the one that you specifically like. And when you find that exact model, that exact make and model, then you need to make sure you test drive that one, get all the information on it, all the details, all the amenities about it, get the Carfax report, study all that information. And once you've done that, then you got to have meditations. So now you're going to meditate on that car. You're going to meditate, meaning a manifestation. In other words, in your mind, you're driving this car, not as you're trying to see how it feels, but you're driving it as if you actually own it. You're taking it to people's houses to show off to your friends and your family. I got this new car. You know, you're, you're literally owning it. And then you got to speak it out loud. I'm going to get this car. I command this car comes into my life. I command that whatever financial situation needs to happen in order for me to obtain this vehicle, it's going to happen. In other words, you're assuming the end before the end. You're automatically commanding this into your reality tunnel, not begging and hoping and, oh, please, I hope I can get this car. And please, please, you know, bless me with money. And that's the wrong way of thinking. The universe only sees power. It only sees energy and power. The Anunnaki and the Atlanteans, they knew this. It goes power to power, high, high frequency, high vibration. So you command things into existence. You don't beg for them to happen. So you begin to verbally speak, commanding. Now you're creating cymatic vibrations into the atmosphere. You're thinking, so you're sending out your light thought patterns through electromagnetic waves. And now you're literally warping what I call space-time around your consciousness platform. And now you're drawing things in. So windows of opportunity are going to come to you that will allow you to get this vehicle, that will allow you to... Uh, you know, be in a situation maybe to get the income to cover the cost or a down payment or be able to make yeah. the, afford the car payment, wherever the case may be. But you then have to have the intuition working now to where you recognize these windows of opportunity because windows open, but also windows also close. And so all this comes together to help you manifest things into your reality. 
Did this guy get his car, this guy you were talking to? He ended up getting the car, actually. Yeah, he did. Now he's working <laughs> one for his wife. That's what I wanted to hear. The <laughs> yeah. guy actually uh, yeah. uh, pulled the trigger and got the car. <laughs> he got the car, and he's working on one for his wife right now. So, yeah, oh, he's very happy. Okay. Yeah, very, very happy. He came okay. to my mystery school, matter of fact, in, uh, in um, uh, October, I think it was. Yeah, and he was so happy because he's like, I didn't know how I was going to even get the money to come to the mystery school and get the hotel, but he covered that, too. So he's happy. Wow. Yeah. Hey, talk a little bit about uh, the description in Tablet 9 of the Emerald Tablets, which is that the uh, current Earth human has amnesia mm -hmm. uh, from the ancient past. They, we don't know about the ancient past. We have no sense of it because, I don't know, there's, there's not a hell of a lot of reference. We mm -hmm. have some yeah. outlining evidence of very old civilizations, but... Anybody who's as sophisticated as we are doesn't mm -hmm. seem to appear. What do you say about that? What does the yeah. tablet say? Uh, we we definitely have, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, we've got this amnesia. And it happens very easily because I started looking into why are we so clueless as to who put these gigantic... I mean, how can you forget these structures being built? How, how does that happen? Yeah. So I started just looking into the human psyche and studying some more of the neuroscience in, in, in that field and realizing, oh, yeah, I can see how this can happen now because it only takes a few generations to begin to forget things. So I started looking into languages, for example. Now, for example, in Mexico, a lot of people are speaking Spanish, but those people are not Spanish. They're not Spaniards. You know, the indigenous people there, they didn't speak Spanish. They spoke other languages. They spoke um, Mayan and, and Aztec and other languages, you know, homegrown languages. They only ended up speaking Spanish because it was forced on them hundreds of years ago. And they since then now, the majority of the people there, when I was in Teotihuacan and Mexico City uh, a couple years back, most of the people don't even know their home, their, you know, their, their birth language or their indigenous language, I should say. So how does it happen? So I'm realizing that once a, a massive change occurs to the majority of people, and then that's handed down one generation, two generations is all it takes. The, the 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 amnesia has already now set in you see right and so let's say that we had an emp bomb go off hopefully not but if it did go off and all the electronics were burnt out here in the united states where i'm at and and wherever you are and yeah. my and my cell phone is now burnt the chip is burnt so i'm like wow i can't call 911 i can't make a i can't get food delivery to the local grocery store i can't put gas in a car if there's an accident there's nobody to come in to help us there's there's nothing. There's no way to. There's no. All the interconnect, interconnectivity has now been gone, and there's no way to communicate. So I know how to use a cell phone, but I don't know how to make one. So <laughs> yeah, right. you know what I mean. So let's say nobody comes to the rescue, and we this situation just persists. One generation now, everybody's into farming and you know self-sustaining themselves when they're at their own local location because there's nobody coming to bring you food. Uh, and then another generation. Well, we're really professionals at it. By the third generation, nobody even knows or cares about a cell phone. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we literally forgot, you know, all, the towers are probably all completely deteriorated that were right. up, the cell phone towers. And, and, you know, all the electronics from that era are probably now deteriorated or gone or thrown in a big pile somewhere. So it doesn't take very long for, um, for amnesia to set in, you know. So at some point in the distant past, we went through some type of a cataclysm, in my opinion, uh, and that cataclysm, we've had several on this planet, but I think that cataclysm literally set us back uh, and put us into almost back into like a Stone Age setting. And, and then from there, two or three generations later, here we are with amnesia and moving forward into this current era. We have no clue how a lot of this stuff happened. And we just luckily we're lucky to have some of these remnants of these tablets laying around so we can get somewhat of an idea. Right. Hey, uh, you, you've been to the Yucatan, you've been to Mexico, mm -hmm. you reference uh, the, the Maya as a, uh, a island or, or a offshoot or a satellite of Atlantis. What, mm -hmm. what gives you the indication uh, that they were uh, uh, the descendants of Atlantinians? Yeah, well, Thoth was having a lot of fights with his brother, Amun-Ra, also known as Marduk. Um, and that name Marduk has made it into many even more recent texts. It's even in the modern day Bible. It's in the Torah. Of course, it's in the uh, Enuma Elish and so forth, the Atraasis. But anyway, he, they were having a lot of fights with each other. And, um, and it, their dad said, look, you know, 
thought, you know, you go on over to the other side of the world, man, and, and just start something fresh over there. So he took some Almex with him from Africa and went down to um, uh, Mesoamerica and he kickstarted an Atlantean civilization there. Now, here's where it gets interesting. He had some indigenous people there working along with him, along with these Almecs. And he took Almecs not just from Africa. It appears that some of them may have came from Asia as well, because some of these Almec faces in the jungle look African and some look Asian. Yeah. Okay, and that's really interesting. Um, so they kickstart this civilization. Now, the civilization of the Teotihuacans, nobody knows the true name, because the name Teotihuacan was created by the Mayans after they inherited what was already there. They had some knowledge and some record or some connection of the elders did to some of the ancient indigenous that were working along with Thoth and the Atlanteans in that region. But after a little bit of time, the same thing happened. More amnesia sets in. This is why you see the Mayan culture having access to all this advanced uh, architecture and information and knowledge. But at the same time, still cutting people's hearts out and sacrificing virgins in wells for rain and all this other kind of crazy stuff. It yeah. was a barbaric mentality based on the fact that amnesia had said, and they really didn't know who they were or they didn't know the connection to these ancient gods. They still called them gods. They wanted them to return. So they were doing all this crazy stuff. But the, um, the, a lot of the stuff that was already there was that was there at the, in Teotihuacan, they inherited this. And this is what you learn from the people who actually are homegrown researchers and guides and archaeologists right there in Teotihuacan. They will tell you the same thing I'm telling you. They arrived about 200 years after the Teotihuacans disappeared. Uh, only a little bit of the knowledge was left. And then, two to 300 years after that, the Aztecs showed up. A volcano, a volcano erupted in their uh, region uh, of Mesoamerica. And then they literally had to get out of their valley. And they actually stumbled across Teotihuacan and took it over. So they took over what was already there as well. So they inherited what was there. More like, less just like... The modern-day Egyptian, uh, you know, dynasties inherited from the ancient Kemetic dynasties. Um, what was a lot of that technology, those 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 pyramids, a lot of that stuff was already there. They inherited what was there, but it was built by their predecessors. Uh, you know, so it's just it's an amazing thing that just keeps happening all around the planet, and it happened right there in Mesoamerica. It was an Atlantean civilization there, very advanced, and some of the elders of the Mayans had connection to the knowledge and information, but as they died and passed on, the information got lost, uh, and the, the people there became barbarians again. I can't get a straight answer from anybody uh, to know if the Atlantinians were a pyramid culture or not. Yeah, I'm were. guessing they were, yeah, simply they were. because we see them in uh, Central mm -hmm. uh, America, we see them in Egypt, and we see yeah. them in different parts of the world. Yeah, well, folks says he built the Great Pyramid, uh, modern after uh, modern uh, modeled after Earth's force, uh, so that it may remain until uh, the current age. So basically, he said that he created this structure to stand and withstand the test of time. Uh, and if you look at the base of this, the size of the base of the Great Pyramid uh, and the height of it, and then look at the base and size and the height of the uh, the Pyramid of the Sun in Teotihuacan. You discover the base is exactly the same. The pyramids are arranged to, to align with the Orion star cluster and uh, Orion's belt, I'm sorry. And um, the pyramid in Teotihuacan is exactly 50% the height of the pyramid in Egypt. Exactly 50%. So uh, it's, it, these are the telltale signs of the same architect. Uh, yeah. The same architect was involved in both of those structures. There's no way around it. There's no you can't just, you know, guess that kind of stuff into existence. It had to happen because somebody laid out the floor plan for that architectural floor plan and somebody copied or copied it that's or a, helped yeah, them that, build it. That's a great that's a great thought. So I was just in Egypt a mm -hmm. few weeks ago and, wow. and the interior of the Great Pyramid in Egypt is, you know, filled with megalithic size granite oh, stones. Yeah. I don't know if um, anyone has been inside the Sun Pyramid at Teotihuacan. Mm -hmm. I do know yeah. that there's a number of researchers that believe that it was once uh, in, uh, enclosed with capping stones that were on a megalithic scale. But mm -hmm. uh, do we know if the foundation at Teotihuacan is, is a huge stones like they have in Egypt? The foundation are huge stones like in Egypt. And here's this, here's another coincidence, <laughs> if you want to call it that. 
The Great Pyramid yeah. at Giza is built on an aquifer, an ancient aquifer, which is now obviously dried up, and there's just giant tunnels there where the water used to be. But yeah. the Teotihuacan Pyramid is built on top of what? A giant aquifer as well. So right. I think that both the Pyramid of the Sun and the Great Pyramid at Giza were both power generators using physiostatic electricity uh, from moving water. Yeah. Uh, water plays a huge part in not only Egypt, mm -hmm. but also in Mexico. So there is definitely a, a connection there yeah, somewhere. Uh, I, I go to Mexico every year mm. with a tour group, and I have found that these pyramids are, a lot of them are still active, which oh, is yeah. fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. And what people don't know, the pyramids of Teotihuacan, like the Pyramid of the Moon, which Stoke built as dedicated to his wife, is actually eight pyramids, the Pyramid of the Moon, right down on the Avenue of the Dead there. It's eight pyramids stacked on top of each other. Uh, and uh, the, the, on the inside of the Pyramid of the Sun, it has the same type of a fractal type of a makeup on the inside where it's almost like multiple pyramids together to build that one gigantic pyramid. But it also has its own chambers and corridors on the inside. But it's really interesting how they, they built those. There are multiple pyramids. And, of course, the number eight pops up a lot in the Emerald Tablets. So it wouldn't surprise yeah. me that uh, he, you know, he used eight pyramids to make one uh, in the Pyramid of the Moon. Let's talk about sacred symbology. You mm -hmm. reference the flower of life symbol mm -hmm. as a very, very powerful symbol. I actually was at the Osiren, and we Ooh. had a private tour down nice. in the guts of the thing. Nice. Uh, and I, I saw on, I think it's one of the big pillars, the actual uh, etched symbology, the actual mm -hmm. flower of life oh, symbol. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the meaning of that? What, what, why is it such a, a powerful symbol? First of all, hats off to you for going there. I've been there myself and took a picture of it with my own camera, and I was so yeah. happy that I was able to capture that, man, because that's like yeah. that's life-changing because we're talking about a symbol that we now know in modern times, what we call modern times, that dates back now to the Osirian, which is tens of thousands of years old. Yeah. Uh, and there's even more structures deep beneath that sand. You know, As far as you can go down, you're going to find more ancient structures down there in, in Egypt. Uh, so we're talking about, you know, 20, 30, who knows how many thousands. These people knew about the symbol. Now, what's so important about this symbol? This symbol is literally the matrix grid of the existence of this entire universe. In other words, every place in space time that exists is that exact symbol, that grid interlinked together. It's everywhere. It's and even in mitosis in the human body, as cells begin to separate, it creates the same exact pattern. So this pattern is literally... Um, as above, so below. It's inside of us and it's also on the outside of us. And what makes it so powerful is this pattern, where every circle intersects, it creates something called the vesica piscis. And the vesica piscis is what looks like a womb. It's where all the wombs are inside of that, that, um, that, that, that diagram. Out of that vesica piscis emanates energy. Energy emanates literally into the third dimension. Not only energy, but also life. Uh, so one, there was a scientist that took a flask and he sterilized the flask and, uh, with heat and then he, he vacuumed it and he sealed it. He came back and looked at it a few days later under an electron microscope and discovered completely fully formed microscopic living organisms inside the flask. Where'd they come from? They came through the vesica piscis. It emanates life into this dimension and energy into this dimension 24-7. It creates this torus energy field that's circulating and circulating our entire uh, universe. Uh, now, the Flower of Life has something in it, uh, if you really analyze it. Well, Metatron's cube is in there, but also the 64-grid tetrahedron can fit directly into one circle Flower of Life. And that's where you have 64 tetrahedrons that actually, if you put down a torus energy field around each one of those, you get the exact matrix format for the Flower of Life. And within that grid, there's something called the Vector Equilibrium, that uh, stabilizes itself and literally houses an unlimited source of power and energy at every point in space-time. So zero-point energy is absolutely real. Nikola Tesla was 1,000% correct. We can harness the energy right out of the ether of space-time itself. It's all, the energy we need to sustain everything is all around us. And the beautiful thing about this flower of life, it's this energetic grid that literally connects every single thing on this planet. So everything appears to be separate and distant, but in true reality, we're all on top of this grid. And we're, so that means we're all literally connected. We're on this giant, gigantic um, Internet, basically. And everything is connected to everything. And separation is an illusion. So it's an amazing thing. I, 
Do you know anybody who's actually used that? Because I've seen it in jewelry, and I've seen it in uh, uh, clothing and logos, things like that. But have you? Do you know anybody that's actually using it to actually uh, for manifestation or for healing or mm-hmm. actually extracting the sacred symbol well, uh, for for, for yeah. use? Well, I, when I went to the um, Conscious Life Expo in twenty, uh, I think it was yesterday, twenty nineteen, the beginning of February of twenty nineteen, yeah. There were some artisans there that had created uh, these Flower of Life's um, uh, and these Metatron cubes out of copper and different types of uh, inorganic and organic materials um, that you can utilize in your meditation practices and everything else, which I thought was very, very interesting. And they were doing some demonstrations there. I thought it was really interesting. And then I saw when I went to Teotihuacan, uh, the last, no, I went to the Yucatan Peninsula the last time. Uh, I got a Flower of Life handmade, hand inlaid um, with uh, silver and, and I think it's um, uh, onyx, uh, you know, pattern uh, medallion. And I use that during my meditations. Uh, do I feel any extra energy or any extra power? I don't, really can't say I feel it in my body, but when I have it on, I just utilize it as part of my practice. I'm just trying to add one more tool to my life that can help me and benefit me in some way to keep me on the right path and help me help others as well as, of course, help manifest things into my life. So uh, I try to utilize it as a, you know, a source of at least what I do is I see, I, I envision it in my mind as well when I'm doing meditations because I, I see that as the face of God. Uh, I believe that all of the divinity is inside of us, so we're all God. But also when people are trying to reference God, I think that they're getting it wrong when they're thinking of a, a guy with a white robe and a magic wand. I really think that the face of God is this flower of life symbol. Mm. Fascinating. So it's also possibly can be used as a, a manifestation tool. Yeah, absolutely. Because every, everything everything comes from the flower of life. Everything, including mm-hmm. us. Hey, uh, uh, as we're getting down to it, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, thought uh, refers to Earth as a prison planet because mm-hmm. of our continual cycle of uh, reincarnation. Yeah. Uh, how, how do we break out of that? that pattern that's somebody that's something excuse me that uh has always been a curiosity right right yeah it's um you know that's a really good question like i said in one of my lectures why are we in this cycle of rise and fall these yuga cycles where everything seems to go in this big circle it's like a time loop you know and i keep going yeah and and there's nowhere written i've gone over a thousand texts scriptures cylinder scrolls uh, you know, um, uh, papyruses. I've read everything. <laughs> and, and, nowhere, and nowhere written does it say you have to do this. You have to be in this cycle. So my main goal right now is to try to find a way or be one of the pioneers that's helping mankind rise to a high level of consciousness and civilization. But at the same time, learn from our lessons, maintain our consciousness, maintain our memory and don't fall back into this um, this cycle again. You know, maintain it, sustain it, push through, and 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 avert the loop. You know, avert the crash again. Uh, will it happen? I'm not sure. I'm you know I'm, you know all of us here, including you, we're all planting seeds for a tree that's going to grow that we're never going to sit in the shade of. You know, so we're just uh, trying to put our best foot forward here and help mankind uh, reach a level that you know can proceed for down prosperity uh, and and hopefully. We can sustain this high level or sustain a high level when we get there and, and not fall back down again, even if there's a cataclysm. And I think a big part of that is we'll probably need breakaway civilizations uh, to help sustain a certain level. I don't think you can sustain on one planet permanently forever. Um, I think that, you know, it comes a time where geologically things are going to happen in a, in a region of space and there's nothing you can do. It's just the natural order of things in space time. That you have to move out to other planets and maybe even other star systems. But uh, I, I just want to help us get to a level where we can break and snap this rise and fall and just stay up and move forward and continue to progress. But is there is there some secret that Thoth has uh, provided that helps us break away mm-hmm. from having to continually reincarnate as a physical being on the planet Earth? Yes, and that is um, what he talks about is reaching a level of consciousness through um, you know, dedicated meditation and, and thought right. and thinking and focusing on the light, service to others, helping people, unconditional love, all those things right there will then get you to a place where you can then become a master. And when you become an all-master, what he calls an all-master, uh, when you're really operating in that true divine light, 
then you can literally incarnate at will when and where you want, even, he says, uh, mm. which is the ultimate goal. You know, that's literally my ultimate goal is to be able to incarnate at will uh, and, uh, you know, to be yeah. able to come back when and where that I want in any any space and time. Um, yeah. You know, so that's really. And he also talks about being able to travel through a portal, uh, which has a guard at the gate. And um and these are the quote unquote heaven's gates that are talked about in the modern that made it into the modern day Bible are really not pearly white gates with some kind of magical kingdom in the background. It's really these stargates that he's talking about that's been talked about in many ancient texts, but Thoth talks about them as well. The gates are stargates. They go to other dimensions and even other planets. You know, it's funny, you had this uh excellent uh education at MIT in neuroscience. Mm-hmm. You've really stepped out of the classically educated uh, person's world into <laughs> some of these metaphysical uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> studies, which is cool. Yeah. Which is cool. I mean, ha- I mean do your folks kind of go, uh, "Hey, uh, Billy, we paid some serious <laughs> money here. What's going on?" Well, you know, it's a little tricky because I started off with all the metaphys. I started researching at the age of seven, by the way. So uh, uh, now I started researching in 1977 at Rainbow Park Elementary by reading uh, Encyclopedia Britannica's on aerospace because I saw a UFO in my backyard. I didn't know what it was, and I wanted to figure out what the hell I just saw. Oh. So that's when I started researching uh, paranormal activity, if you want to even call it that. But I went to aerospace first, and I went through every technological book I could find. Ironically, a couple weeks later, my parents got a door knock at the door, and it was an encyclopedia salesperson, and they got approved <laughs> for a whole set. So I was literally in heaven. All I wanted to do was read 24-7, day and night. I read everything from all different science books, biology books, mechanics, you know, everything. Uh, but so, you know, that's where my mind was. But then moving on later into life and getting into the esoteric and, and the spiritual by discovering these ancient megalithic sites, uh, by looking at some of the NASA uh, uh, mission data from Apollo and also from the, uh, the Mars missions, and realizing they had duplicate sites or sites that were very similar to ones I've seen on Earth. That took me to ancient history and ancient knowledge, which took me into esoteric wisdom and everything else. Much later, only in 2017, that I just get my certificate from MIT in neuroscience. You know, and um, I wanted to perfect a little bit of the, the psychological techniques and tactics that I was able to utilize and understanding things better, understanding people better, understanding the uh, how minds work and how chemical exchanges happen between two people in the same room and how it can affect things and everything else. And I was able to really correlate a lot of my teaching there from that into the spiritual realm and even metaphysics and, and even quantum mechanics. Uh, so it was a real interesting combination, you know, of the two, uh, you know, so that's, it came, that came very, very late, you know, late, late along the line here. Okay, yeah. cool. The book is Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, a beginner's guide. My guest today has been Billy Carson, Billy, what would you uh, like the uh, reader to get out of this book, if you could give us just kind of an insight into what your thought was? I would like them to understand that there was a very extremely colorful ancient past on this planet and in our solar system, uh, and that mankind has a vast amount of knowledge and wisdom stored directly in our DNA. The memories aren't truly lost. They're just kind of dormant inside of us, and we need to tap into it by through meditation uh, uh, eating right, eating clean, and also through showing unconditional love to others and being of service to others. And when we do that, we're all going to raise our vibration, literally, because our electromagnetic activity will rise to a high frequency. This is real science. And we'll be able, we'll be on one accord. We need to drop the infighting. We need to drop the, uh, you know, as Self talks about a lot of the divide and conquer that's happened. We need to reach out and learn how to love one another again, work together, to find peace and also to find a way to overthrow the Dark Brothers, which are talked about in the Emerald Tablets, uh, which are these elites, these 13 families that are controlling 7.5 billion people. It has to come to an end. And we've got to be the ones to end it. And it's not going to end with a war. It's not going to end with violence and rioting and all this other stuff. It's going to end when we come together as a people and say that enough is enough. We're going to not participate in your system anymore. So when Monday morning comes, we're all going to say, no, we're not going to go to work. We're not going to pay taxes. We're not going to pay our mortgage or car payments. We're going to take all of our money out of the bank. And uh, now you guys come and you negotiate with us. And when 30, 40, 50, 100, 200 million people do that in one day, the system collapses with no pain, no no war, no fighting, no nothing. And uh, we restart and re-kickstart this economy under a new type of a system that benefits the entire world, a world economy that benefits the world and helps mankind become better. And the new economy should probably be 
one where uh, you, you're ranking in societies when you, uh, you know, how good you are at what you do and how much you can help other people. Wow. That's a, that's a big chunk of uh, a world you took <laughs> you <just laughs> off there. Pretty good. All right. You can uh, uh, read more and, and see uh, uh, Billy Carson and his website, Forbidden Knowledge, the number ForbiddenKnowledge.com. Mm-hmm. He also has a YouTube and uh, I, I know, I know, Paul Andrews, you're going to be at Contact in the Desert uh, next February, I believe, right? Yes, absolutely. I'll be in Contact in the Desert. Okay, great. All right. Hey, Billy, it's been a pleasure. We're going to have to have you back on. Yes. Uh, I, I can feel it right now. you got another book uh, oh, yeah. churning in, in your insights, <laughs> and I'm sure you'll be hatching something in the next uh, year or two. So, oh, hey, yeah. it was great to have you on the program. Thank you. I appreciate you. Hey everyone, this is Billy Carson, also known as Forbidden Knowledge. If you haven't done so, please check out my book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. It's currently a bestseller on Amazon.com. You can look it up, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets by Billy Carson. In this book, I break down the metaphysical, quantum physics, esoteric wisdom of Thoth the Atlantean. This information was written eons ago, and I've taken my time to break down all of the information in a way that everyone can understand it. So please check it out. Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. If you're into learning about the true ancient history and ancient civilizations, you have to read my book. Hi, this is Billy Carson, and I want to take a minute to talk to you about my Egyptian mystery school that I teach at Dame Dash Studios in Burbank, California. The first mystery school was an absolute success. And we're looking forward to the second Mystery School, December 7th and 8th, 2019. We will also be hosting a Mystery School every month and a half. So you can check on ForbiddenKnowledge.com with the number 4, ForbiddenKnowledge.com. Or check out my Instagram account for updates. The link tree is in my bio to go to the Mystery School and you can register for classes there. This is Billy Carson with ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. Forbidden Knowledge TV has just reached its one-year anniversary. That's right, one year. And as a show of appreciation, we are giving all new subscribers a free 30-day trial of ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. That's 30 days to binge watch thousands of movies, documentaries, conferences, workshops, lectures, yoga classes, meditation courses, and so much more. So log on to ForbiddenKnowledge.tv from your computer or mobile device or get the Forbidden Knowledge TV app on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play today and use coupon code 30DAYSFREE. That's coupon code 30 days free on ForbiddenKnowledge.tv today.